Good morning, Saturday morning from the Paloma Media Compound in Chinatown, New York City. I'm going to read the latest in a series of pieces I've been writing about Rachel Abraham, who was murdered in Portland, Oregon by her ex-boyfriend on August 27th of last year. This one's called The Collateralists. What would you give to keep your community safe? And by give, I mean give up. How about the life of the woman next door? If that does not sound appealing, no less plausible, how about one who lives 90 blocks away, in a neighborhood different than yours, one where strip malls sell discount phone cards and $1 Chinese food? There may be other differences. She may have a different skin tone than yours or speak a different language. She's almost certainly in a different income bracket. In a city of 2.1 million, you will not likely have crossed paths with this woman. Maybe she works cleaning bathrooms. I once met a street food vendor, originally from Bosnia, who, upon arriving in Portland as a refugee in 2003, did not resume her career as, a, as an electrical engineer, but took the first job she could find, scrubbing toilets at the airport. It was better, she told me, to sell the flaky, palm-sized cheese bread called pita sirnica out of a trailer downtown than to deal with American women in a public restroom, women who did not see her as human, who did not see her at all, cheese bread had given her back personhood. As for the woman in question, the one who does not live next door to you, she works, as she has for more than a decade, as a caregiver for the elderly. I'm not sure if you have experience with old people or old people who are failing to keep themselves clean, to take their pills, to remember your name, but they need a lot of attention. In my experience, caring for an old person is not unlike watching a toddler, except old people argue more and you can't force them to take a shower or take away the phone with a simple give it to me. It can be a smelly and thankless job, but is nonetheless necessary and the job of the woman who lives 90 blocks from you. This woman also has six children. The oldest is 14, the youngest is two. There's almost no chance you know these children. They don't play with your children or go to the same schools. They are, in the day-to-day -day sense, hypothetical children. Nevertheless, kids are kids and most of them love and rely on their mothers. Also, all of this woman's, woman's children are girls. A very young girl losing her mother has always struck me as a devastating fate. The four or seven-year-old destined to chase any memory of her mother, the sound of her voice, the smell of her hair into the dark. I am not trying to wring sadness from you for people you have never met or and whose neighborhood you never see except when you drive to the Costco. I am saying that a woman who, based on the speed with which her murder slipped from the news, was deemed newsworthy was deemed by news consuming people. Let me start that again. I am saying that a woman who, based on the speed with which her murder slipped from the news, was deemed by news consuming people as regrettable, but not precious enough to sock into the memory banks. Fair enough. There are a lot of things to worry about, including the premise of this conversation, concern for the safety of your neighbors and friends and the circle that widens from there, which might include other people you have never met. As nearly every news-consuming person knows, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis on May 25, 2020, and we took him to our breast, felt to varying degrees the sharp injustice of his death while in police custody. This event created a seismic splash that washed over most of the world. When the waters receded, to stretch the metaphor, certain items appeared on shore. People picked up these items and made of them what they would. The more industrious and mercenary fashioned them into tools that often did not fix old problems, but did create new ones. 
the woman with six children fell into a no-fixable category. Had people heard of her, they might have thought it tragic that she was repeatedly beaten and strangled and threatened with a gun to her head. They had not heard of her. They were instead fixated on one of the tools they found on the beach, one that was able to reframe events, to refract and rehabilitate. It worked like an optometrist's lens and, depending on where you lived and whom you trusted, made the situation clear. The woman's right to safety held less primacy than the rights of the man who beat and strangled her and held a gun to her head until he killed her, whereupon the optometrist's machine was deemed problematic or hidden away for another day or conked out by design. No matter, people's eyes had warped to the shape of the machine. They could easily defend their new vision, could see things no other way. This is a very fucked up story about a woman whose ex-husband killed her after a Portland bail fund bailed him out for his previous domestic violence charges, after which he attacked her multiple times before killing her. It's also shockingly dishonest, wrote the publisher of Wonkette of the story I wrote about the woman's murder. People who may be innocent should not languish in jail just because they're too poor to have $2,000 bail. People who are in actual danger should not be freed whether they've got money or not, but that's on judges. And they, being human, fuck up all the time, end quote. The problem, as Wonkette saw it, was not the person doing the strangling and stabbing, it was the judges and their human fallibility which might have held a bit of water had it not been seven judges setting the would-be killer free. Seven judges in three months suggests a pattern, suggests policy, suggests leaning into maybe innocent, despite knowing the man had stepped on his ex-wife's windpipe and told her she was going to die, suggests those extra clear new lenses were clouded, if not blacked out. If it were up to me, those lenses would shatter upon word of the murder. If it were up to Wonkette, it would remain clear that blame for a woman stabbed and strangled to death with her three youngest girls in the next room lies in a human fuck-up. Happens all the time. This is what I mean when I ask what you are willing to give up. Wonkette and at least a few judges, though the story is more complicated than that, and listener, there are links in this story to uh, some other stories I've written as well as to some video. See the murder of a woman as a sad but unavoidable loss on the road to doing the right thing. I can accept that what seems necessary and proactive to one group will appear dangerous and horrifying to another. I have a harder time accepting that a person's beliefs entitles them to put others in harm's way, which is why I questioned the person who posted the below tweet several weeks before the Portland City Council election last November. Uh, I'm going to explain what this little image, this tweet looks like. It's two uh, people in black block, you know, the full black clothing and black helmet and their faces covered in a gas mask. And they're kneeling down, holding an umbrella over them. And as you probably know, um, activists and Antifa, they use the black, the uh, umbrellas to sort of like shield themselves and also to prevent you from filming them. It's a, it's a tool. Anyway, these two characters are holding a sign that says, Renee Gonzalez li lives at, and I blanked out, Boulevard. Renee Gonzalez was um, running for city council. And so basically this tweet was put up by someone um, last October, a couple of weeks before the election, to basically let people know, whether it was his cronies or Antifa or whether he's just putting this up randomly, letting them know where this guy lived. Okay, back to the essay. 
Those who dress in black block, as the figures above, take pride in hiding their identity. It both shields them from culpability and coheres them to the group. Interestingly, or not, they do not extend this courtesy to other. The person who tweeted the above image apparently felt okay revealing the home address of city council candidate Rene Gonzalez and his wife and children. Maybe doing so made him feel heroic. Maybe it was a lazy tweet. Maybe the city's activists in October 2022 were truffling for whatever tidbit might continue to fuel them, might give them the next rush without risking any actual skin. Maybe it was something else entirely, which I decided to ask in a private message, indicating that I might want to use the tweet in future writing. The person who tweeted it's response was, Hi, thank you for reaching out and asking instead of just using the image. Respectfully, I am going to ask that you do not include it in your work. Even without the Twitter handle included, I feel that it is against my best interest that this image is not shared publicly. I, I feel it is against my best interest that this image is shared publicly. In fact, the tweet was taken down prior to you messaging me here. Thank you for understanding. That this person would not risk a pile-on to his virtual identity, but was cool with unleashing the unpredictable on real men, women, children. Did he see the irony in this? And did he want to talk about it a little more? I asked in a video sent privately, and there is a, uh, there's a link to the video here. It's a 1 minute 34 seconds of me talking to the camera from a cafe in Rhinebeck, New York, um, basically asking him why he thought this was okay and inviting him to talk a little more about it. Back to the essay, his response was to block me. Another tool, blunt, babyish, hiding in a crowd of black helmets in lieu of a conversation. The beliefs he and others carry, ones that passively or actively abet the maiming and murder of others, these rest in a cardboard box with a soggy bottom. Toss in one question and the whole thing blows out. Maybe these people will grow up and abandon these beliefs. Maybe they can live with mothers being murdered in front of their kids. I and the prize, and what is that prize? Gotta break some eggs. Maybe they will continue to support and ratify a system that extends, as one person phrased it to me, a significantly larger amount of empathy to a would-be murderer rather than the person he pledged to murder. Maybe a place like Portland thinks, if they just screw their eyepieces on a little tighter, everything will look fine. Thank you for listening. Um, I have a sense I'm going to keep writing about these issues in Portland. Um, and uh, if you go over to my Substack, which is um, nancyrommelman.substack.com or Make More Pie, there will be links here. You can find a whole bunch of writing about this. Uh, and also you can follow me on Twitter. I linked um, an interesting article about Portland by Jonah Goldberg um, that he published yesterday. Um, that's at Nancy Rom, N-A-N-C-Y-R-O-M-M -M, on Twitter. Okay, thanks for listening.